What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob. I'm hanging out, talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, Bob. I um, stood for the entire Cavs game yesterday. I did not sit down until the trophy presentation, and I was really sore. So I can't imagine what LeBron James is feeling right now. Yeah, uh, that's a, a fair um, non-comparison there. Uh, definitely was a riveting Game 7 uh, for me as well. Um, I was doing a lot of screaming, and I have, I've I've been pretty tame this postseason, but um, I, w- I was getting a little, little extra excited uh, during that Game 7 matchup because it, it was quite... Uh, quite a fun one um you know a a game that finally wasn't over uh by the time the fourth quarter rolled around so um definitely a a great game to remember especially because lebron james and the cleveland cavaliers came up on top and are advancing to their the cleveland's fourth consecutive nba finals and lebron james's eighth consecutive nba finals uh chris I, i i mean Game seven was was ugly. It was a different kind of game than the previous six, which were off pretty much uh, easily won by the home team. And, and uh, game seven was a much more sloppy affair, but a much more defense oriented affair. Um, what 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 is your analysis on, on that game seven, and how did the Cavs come out on top, finally getting that that road win against Boston? Yeah, it finally bucked the trend of the first quarter basically deciding the game. I mean, the, the Cavs went down 26 to 18. I think that that's something that will be easily forgotten since they won, but early on it certainly started to feel like uh-oh, maybe home court is a big deal, but the Cavs really buckled down and and gritted this one out. I mean, 87-79 in this day and age of the NBA is an extremely low-scoring game. I mean, for neither team to get to 90 after every game each team was routinely in the 90s is is pretty insane, and it just goes to show you how much of a just slog fest this thing was. And this is the kind of Game 7 I like. A Game 7 where you could just see just the grit and and the will and just the desire on both teams, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But you have to give credit to, obviously, LeBron James. It goes without saying that LeBron James deserves credit for everything the Cavs do. But he can't do it alone. And with Kevin Love sidelined, Jeff Green picked the perfect time to have the best game of his career. 19 points, 8 rebounds, 7 of 14 from the field. He was only 2 of 9 from 3, but he hit open looks or enough open looks towards the end there to really soften up that Boston defense that was just packing it in without the threat of Kevin Love. You know, there were times, Bob, where LeBron would get the ball and it would look like it was man to man coverage, but if you looked in the distance, you'd see as many as three Celtics watching LeBron. The second that foot hits the paint, swarm, and you've got a triple team. And the Cavs were getting easy, wide-open shots. Jeff Green hit him. J.R. Smith also hit him. Three of eight from three-point. All eight of his field goals coming from three-point range for 12 points. J.R. Smith also picked a great time to shake his road woes and step up in a big moment. 
those two guys providing that floor spacing and Jeff Green just with an all-around great game on both sides of the ball was the, exactly the kind of help LeBron needed for his 35, 15, and 9 to shine in a Game 7 victory. Yeah, Jeff Green is the obvious uh, postseason hero stepping up uh, as LeBron's sidekick. Um, but you know, at, at different points in this series, it's been you know some combination of, of Green, George Hill, Kyle Korver, and J.R. Smith. And I think that Hill... Smith and Green all, all came to play in Game Seven. Kyle Korver didn't really uh, have much of an impact, nor did he get much playing time. Um, you know, the Celtics. Uh, yeah, the, uh, back to back to just the Game Seven in general. You know, this is our second uh, LeBron era take two uh, Game Seven that we've experienced. The the the, the previous one being probably the, the greatest one in my memory. Uh, resulting in NBA in an NBA championship uh, both those affairs were, were, were sloppy and, and you know the pressure of a game seven when the stakes are this high uh, it gets to just about everybody and even LeBron um, while he had a, a great performance uh, he, he had a lot of turnovers and, and there were just moments of sloppy plays you know thinking of the the inbound pass that got deflected he, he caught that ball and, and then uh, hit an easy jump shot but um, there, there were just a lot of plays that uh, weren't part of the well-oiled NBA machine, and, and that's where LeBron James, I, I think, his greatness steps up. You know, he 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 has a terrible pass cross court that Terry Rozier easily intercepts, and he runs down for a dunk, and LeBron James just trots down and, and swats it away, uh, which was a, a fantastic moment. I, I don't think you would see that you know, in an earlier game, game seven, it just gets sloppy. Uh, teams are tired. Teams are used to each other. You know, this is the seventh game they've played in the course of two weeks. And they, you know, there's also just uh, that pressure of winning the game. So it, it was a fun affair. Jeff Green definitely stepped up. And I think that the Cavs saw that, uh, you know, in Kevin Love's absence uh, and when Kevin Love was on the court, uh, the Celtics, kind of exploited that matchup and, and actually were you know in terms of the the the, the stats that the Cavs were statistically better off with Jeff Green in the lineup than than Kevin Love on the uh in the lineup so I think that you know that that is something to consider heading into uh, a potential matchup with the Warriors who uh, Kevin Love has routinely been a poor matchup for I'm not saying he's not going to get any minutes but I, I think I do think Jeff Green in the previous two games filling in for Kevin Love uh, has earned even more playing time heading into uh, another versatile wing team, uh, potentially in the Warriors, or I could see it easily translating with the Rockets as well. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, talking about Kevin Love, I mean, obviously he wasn't on the floor for Game 7 with the concussion. You know, seeing him around the team in Game Seven, uh, he was talking to some reporters in the hall. Obviously, it's hard to evaluate a concussion just by talking to people because it's not the symptoms aren't like as plain as say a limped leg or, or something along those lines. I would imagine with the four days between games, uh, or excuse me, three days between games, uh, he will be on the floor for Game One this Thursday regardless of who it plays and for our listeners there we're recording this before the Western Conference game seven so we, we won't know the Cavs opponent in time for this podcast 
Uh, but but either way, Bob, I think we're going to agree that it's going to be an uphill battle in the NBA Finals. But focusing it back on Game Seven and Kevin Love, you know, Kevin Love is is an interesting conundrum because there's an expectation that 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 he needs to be a superstar, and I I I don't disagree with that because he needs to assert himself more regularly. At the same time, I also think it's a little bit unfair to only look at his statistics for the impact he makes on the offensive side of the ball. The Boston Celtics could not play the defense they played last night if Kevin Love was on the floor because he draws a big man away from the hoop. You can't you can't cheat when him and a shooter are out there. You you can't pack the paint because you just leave too many good guys open. But more importantly what he does is if he's in the paint you can't pack it on LeBron because he commands so much attention in the paint. So what he does spacing-wise offensively is invaluable. But as you said, Bob, he is not the most versatile defensive player, and the Warriors particularly have exploited him hardcore in the past when he's been on the floor defensively. Oddly enough, the one time they couldn't exploit him defensively was probably the biggest possession of that Game 7. But... Point being, uh, you, you, you raise a very good point about Kevin Love defensively, and that leads into a larger point I want to make here, Bob. Ty Lu went with a very defense-focused lineup. This lineup that the Cavs trotted out is probably their best defensive lineup. It's their most versatile lineup. They have a lot of guys who can switch and guard multiple positions. They have two or three guys in this lineup who can guard one through four. They have George Hill who can guard a combination of of guards, probably a little too small to guard a forward. And they have Tristan Thompson, who is just relentless. So the point being is that this lineup, you know, Ty Lue saw that the Cavs offense was going to get slopped up by the Boston Celtics. He, I mean, anyone could have told that without Kevin Love, they were going to just pack it in on LeBron and dare someone to beat him. So he said, I got to fight fire with fire. I need to put my best defensive unit out there and slop them up too. And it worked. They held them to 79 points. It was a fantastic, easily the best defensive effort they've had this entire playoffs. Yeah, for sure. I I think George Hill's versatility shown through uh, last night. Um, He's 6'3", but has you know some of the longest arms in in basketball. So he is able to, uh, you know, you don't want him to, but when he is posting up, uh, being posted up against a forward, he, he's able to hold his own, and he did so uh, a couple times against Jason Tatum. Uh, he tried to a couple times against Al Horford as well. Didn't go so well, but um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's that's um, that's a building block, and these these Cavs are you know have been figuring things out this entire postseason, uh, and, and I think that you know this this final game they they figured out a, a defensive lineup that. Uh, can can translate to uh, whoever that potential uh, Western Conference Final champion is. So yeah, I, I think um, I, I do think it was a uh, an impressive defensive effort. Um, both sides, you know, could not hit a three to save their life. I mean, despite the the strong defensive effort by the Cavs, Celtics still had many open looks and were uh, finished the game seven for thirty nine. Uh, behind the three-point arc, that's 18% three-point shooting. The Cavs weren't much better with 25% three-point shooting. You know, the the first half went when Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith were getting wide-open looks and not knocking any of those threes down. I, I was very concerned because you know you, you got it. You have to. Those are your dead-eye shooters. I mean, they can make those shots uh, 
in their sleep, but uh, it seemed like the, the Cavs were, were destined to just have a another cold shooting night. Thankfully, they, they got uh, a few key shots, especially from Jeff Green uh, and J.R. Smith in the second half, uh, and were able to at least make nine out of their 35 uh, three-point attempts. So, um, yeah, uh, a sloppy game seven all around, but Chris, Le- LeBron is now winner of eight consecutive Eastern Conference titles is going to uh, his fourth straight NBA finals with this Cleveland Cavaliers team. Uh, and pro- at least in the four-year history of his return to Cleveland, I think this is his most impressive uh, run to the NBA finals. And uh, statistically, uh, in terms of leadership as well, is his most impressive um, give some context and legacy about uh, what this means for LeBron going to his eighth straight finals. Yeah, well, right, right there, eight straight NBA finals. The only people who have more were the people who played with Bill Russell. Uh, got, a couple of them got to eight or nine, but Bill Russell went to 10 straight. Uh, so just just let that sink in. Anytime you're up there with Bill Russell, who has won the most championships in NBA history, I know some of his teammates share that with him, but when you look at a superstar, he, he's the gold standard when it comes to titles. And anytime you're mentioned with Bill Russell, you're doing something right. I mean, eight straight NBA Finals is just unbelievable. I, I almost think it's even more impressive that he's done it with two different teams. Uh, you can argue both ways on that. But nine total, Bob. I mean, he's, he's only not been to the NBA Finals three of the last 12 years. And, and all of them came before 2000, the 2010-11 season. What what more can you say about the guy? The guy, if you had any doubts that he was one of the three best players of all time, and, and honestly, I don't care if you think he's better than Jordan or not. It's not it's not about that for me anymore. It's just about appreciating the fact that we're watching a, a very, very special talent, a, a guy who you could make the argument he is the GOAT. You could make the argument for Jordan too, and you can make the argument for Bill Russell. I, I think that those are kind of the three guys maybe – Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, you know, there, there are other guys in the conversation too, but but LeBron James is up there, and we're watching him now. Like, who cares what the number is next to his name, if it's one, two, three, whatever. The guy is is playing at a whole nother level, especially this year. Just, just what he's done, all the 40-point games, all the big triple doubles, the impact shots, he's done it all over the course of this uh, postseason. He's played... You know, all but two minutes of the last, like, two games. And it, 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 people are witnessing true greatness right here. To come back from 0-2, or 0-2 and then uh, 2-3 to beat a very pesky, young, upstart Boston team. Um, a very impressive accomplishment. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that the road ahead is going to be extremely tough. Whoever comes out of the West will be tougher than Boston. But if you can't appreciate this greatness, this great performance that LeBron is in the middle of, uh, um, you're you're just a hater, really. I mean, you just got or or, or you're a, if you're a Boston fan, I I don't blame you. If you've been beaten by him, I don't blame you. But uh, you know, overall, just at least tip your cap to to to, to history. That, that's all I ask. You know, you don't have to enjoy it if he's beating you, but at least tip your cap to history. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I think LeBron already was at the point of regardless of this season I, I think after that 2016 coming back down 3-1 against the 73 win Golden State Warriors to to win Cleveland's first 
NBA championship. I, I think that for, for me cemented his legacy as the, the, the best basketball player of all time um, to continue the high level of play that he's had carrying, uh, you know, leading uh, the pre- last year's team to, uh, to another NBA finals. And now they do it for eight consecutive years against uh, with this team uh, in particular, which has faced so much adversity uh, you know, they blew up the team with twice with trading away Kyrie Irving and then trading away uh, two out of the three players they got from that Kyrie Irving trade at the trade deadline. Uh, and, and for LeBron to to play all 82 games this season to lead uh, the Cavs through a tumultuous playoff series, uh, you know, two game sevens this year, uh, two buzzer beating buzzer beaters uh, in, in the playoffs, and just you know, getting close to, to averaging a triple double, uh, almost every night again, uh, in, in the postseason at, at this stage of his career, I, it's hard to, I, I just don't, I, I don't understand anybody that can't acknowledge that he is at least in level with, with Michael Jordan, if not better. And I think that, you know, the, the, the more impressive and, and the more, length LeBron adds to this consecutive NBA final streak, you know, the, the more that the Jordan defenders just go back to six NBA championships. And, and there's really, there's not a whole lot else that you can, that you can provide in, in terms of tangible evidence that, that shows that Jordan was better than LeBron. I think if you look at all the records that LeBron is shattering, that he is projected to shatter uh, in the next couple seasons, yeah, he's going to have, you know, he's going to be at the top of so many records and record books. Uh, and he, he's done it on teams that really just have not had hall of fame talent around him. I mean, the Dwayne Wade will probably be in the hall of fame, but that was maybe he got two and a half seasons out of Dwayne Wade's prime, uh, with the heat Kyrie Irving may be a hall of fame player. Uh, but that, uh, he has a lot of work to do and a lot of health issues to, to answer. So, LeBron has just been impressive for so long. I think people, one, just have grown numb to it, and and two, you know, he's angered a lot of fan bases with his uh, decisions in free agency, and then you know, uh, repeatedly defeating them uh, in the Eastern Conference, particularly. You know, I'm looking at the Celtics, the the um, and the Pacers. You know, there, I understand those teams that that want to hate him, but. Um, at this point, especially carrying this team that, that just lacked, uh, the, the level of talent that the previous seven teams have had, uh, it, it's just, it, it's hard for me to listen to anybody that is, is hating against his legacy right now. I, I think the big thing for LeBron is if he were to break Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. I think that would be a major feather in the cap to, to combat this six championships. And, and it, that's a hard one for me because, you know, Jordan did go six for six in NBA finals. And I don't like debating this because, again, I, I do think it's ultimately silly. Just appreciate greatness. But, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't think it's fair to Jordan to just kind of gloss over that. that. That is a very impressive accomplishment and that's not to minimize nine trips to the NBA finals and eight straight 
that is also a very impressive co- accomplishment. But but I do think that if LeBron can break that all-time scoring record in the regular season, that that would be a huge thing. Because there have been some great scorers on this list who have not come close. I mean, Kobe Bryant finished 5,000 behind Kareem. Carl Malone is the is the closest about, you know, 15, 12, or um, just under 2,000. Um, or excuse me, just, just over 1,000, about, about uh, 12, 1,300 here. Um, but the, the point is that, it, that is a very big record if he were to take that one down. And it's not to minimize any of his other records, but I, I think that would turn some heads. If he were to, to chase down that record, uh, that, would, that would be a major feather in his cap. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's getting close. Uh, you know, he eclipsed 2,000 points this past season. Um, so if he, if he repeats that, you know, he's going to be, he, he might surpass Jordan next year in, in terms of, uh, career scoring and move into fourth place. Um, oh, there's no might about it. He's definitely going to pass Jordan next year. He's only like 1200 behind him. Right. Yeah. And you know, health, health and all that, uh, uh no. aside, but knocking on um, wood, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but for, for me, Chris, uh, you know, if we're talking about all-time lists, uh, he he is going to move into the top ten in assists as well, and I think that is what you know when you when you move past points and and championships and look at all the other measured statistics, Le- LeBron James is going to be you know on so many of these of these top twenty, top ten lists. Um, he just needs three hundred assists next season to to go, move in the tenth place. And so he's going to be the only guy uh, on to, to be on both these lists uh, of points and assists in the top 10, um, which is going to be uh, very, very impressive. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're, you know, when all set is done and we, and we look at, you know, all of his career stats, he's going to have an, a ridiculous stat line and, and going to be like the only person to be top 10 your top five points top 10 assists and top 20 rebounds or something like that because he has just been an an all-around monster his entire career and especially during this eight uh straight nba finals run so um yeah he there's no reason to think that he he's not going to uh get to that points record uh based off of how dominant he's been um and I, i think the, the longer this goes on, the, the more people are going to you know, actually acknowledge that he is the be- greatest basketball player of all time. To end your career with more than 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, and 10,000 assists, that's a triple quintuple. <laughs> that's insane, Bob. Like, for him... To reach 10,000 in each of those categories for his career, I mean, there is nobody in the NBA who I think is even close to that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. And he's he's on uh, he's currently number 16th in, in steals. So, um, you know, he again, he's just he's gonna be on all of these lists. Uh, maybe not rebounds. Um, top 25 rebounds but he's going to be on on so many lists in terms of efficiency points assists steals uh it it, it truly is like it, it's going to be uh very hard to, to deny his greatness when it's all said and done 
Yeah, but I mean, let, let's just put this all in perspective here. Rebound wise, yeah, he. I mean, he'll if he cracks the top twenty-five, that's great. But he only needs about sixteen hundred more to get to ten thousand. I think that's a safe bet. Assists. If he gets ten thousand assists, only five other people have ten thousand assists. John Stockton, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Mark Jackson, and Magic Johnson. Steals wise, only twelve people have 2,000 steals, and LeBron James is only is less than 200 away from being there too. He could have 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists, and 2,000 steals. Bob, I mean, just, just the eliteness of this guy is off the charts. And, and Bob, he's only about 100... And 10 blocks away from having a 1,000 blocks for his career, which, again, would not put him anywhere near the top 25. But it just, I can't think of another player who has that versatility in, in those first four categories, especially, especially. To be one of 13 with 2,000 if he were to get there, one of six with 10,000 assists, and, and, and also 10,000 rebounds and 30,000 points, Bob. It, it, that that's a tough one to argue against. Yeah, definitely. Um, w- walking back a little bit, um, just in, in terms of legacy, uh, a lot of people were saying uh, as the game wound down and uh, during post game that this was the most impressive feat of LeBron's career, getting this team to the NBA Finals, uh, and this was the most unimpressive supporting cast and I immediately was like whoa what about 2007 and I have read some stats that that argue that this current roster is worse than that 2007 roster but Chris do do you agree that this 2018 run into the postseat into the NBA finals is more impressive that than what LeBron did in 2007 no not even close (laughs) first off first off for this is pure recency bias right here Kevin Love is two years away from cementing a Hall of Fame career that's a fact if you don't believe that Google Kevin Love look at his stats compare him to other people he is on the fast track for the Hall of Fame more so than Kyrie Irving Kyrie Irving may be more talented that's fine but Kyrie Irving has a lot of work to do Kevin Love is one to two years away from being in the Hall of Fame Zadrunas Elgalskis isn't going to the Hall of Fame Period. End of story. Fine player. Excellent player. But that was your clear number two in 2007. Let's talk about your point guard. Eric Snow or Larry Hughes, a shooting guard playing out of position. Yeah, George Hill's a better pure point guard. Let's talk about the shooters. Damon Jones and Danielle Marshall. I'm pretty sure Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith are a million times better than those guys who were, by the way, starting playing significant minutes. Drew Gooden was your power forward. You're really going to say that Kevin Love and Drew Gooden are on the same planet, let alone... It is utterly insane to say that this team was worse than 2007. Those of you who don't realize how subpar that supporting cast was in 2007 need to go back and watch game five of the eastern conference finals in 2007 you think lebron did it all this year he truly did it all in that game 29 out of 30 last 25 points and the pistons were playing five on one defense 
Oh, by the way, that Detroit Pistons team had won an NBA championship, been to an NBA Finals, and I believe that was their fifth straight trip to the Conference Finals. This Boston team may have a bright future, but right now it's a very green, no pun intended, raw team that is developing. Not even in the same stratosphere as those 2007 Pistons were. To say that beating this Celtics team with an infinitely better supporting cast than he had against an infinitely better Pistons team or more seasoned Pistons team with a much weaker supporting cast in 2007 is complete and utterly ridiculous. The comparisons to the 2007 Cavs need to stop immediately. It is insane to think that LeBron has less help now than he did then. Yeah, I agree. Uh, did a good job deconstructing that one. So uh, you did mention the uh, green Boston Celtics. What's the outlook on their future? Does this, you know, the the, the older team won, uh, the Cavs, the more seasoned team, uh, you know, advanced to the NBA Finals. But do you think that this signaled almost a changing of the guard where the Cavs, the, you know, it, was this the end of something for Cleveland and the start of something uh, new uh, for, for Boston? Uh, it didn't signal the changing of the guard yet because they didn't end anything. The Cavs still rule the East. But what it does, the bell has been rung, Bob. The Cavs now officially, regardless of what happens with Philadelphia and Milwaukee, two other teams that are have a lot of intrigue, and maybe Toronto if they can pull a trade or something, uh, the, the Cavs now have a heavyweight contender in the Eastern Conference Finals. Because I, I believe that if Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving come back healthy, Brad Stevens has shown that you know he can get guys to play. And, 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 and you got to tip your cap to what Boston and Brad Stevens have been able to do. Um, I, I, I've, I'm, I'm very critical of the hype around Brad Stevens, but I'm not critical of Brad Stevens as a coach. He's certainly one of the best in the NBA. And let's not just let's, let's stop saying he doesn't have any talent, Bob, because Jason Tatum uh, had a coming out party this postseason. He did not play like a rookie. He played like a stud. This guy has so much room to grow. Jalen Brown obviously has a lot of potential as well. And Al Horford, we know what we're going to get out of him. Terry Rozier took a big step forward too. And then you layer in a guy like Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving who has a ring. Gordon Hayward who's been deep in the playoffs before. And Hayward, familiar with Brad Stevens, Irving, early in the year showed that he is not, you know, he, he could play with this team in this system. Yes, the Cavs, what, what this signals is the Celtics have arrived, and they are a legitimate threat to the Cavs going forward. And the Cavs do have to be on notice because they, they may have to make some moves to contend with them just to get back to the NBA Finals. But but the era is not over yet. You got to knock off the champs before you declare the era over. Now there's one caveat to that rule, rule uh, that um, statement. If LeBron were to leave, then obviously the era is over. But I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's staying in Cleveland. I think this is going to be a, a an intriguing rivalry in the East next year. And Boston has arrived. Regardless of what else happens, the East is no longer just a one-team playground. There is a new kid on the block, and they mean business. Yeah, it, it's scary uh, to think what um, what this Boston team could have done in the postseason. You know, if you know the growth that Boston went through, and then say they they got back Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving didn't get hurt at the end of the season, um, how good they, they 
how deep they could have gone in, in this postseason. Um, it, it, it would have been scary. Um, now you have to hit the reset button, get another year. Al Horford is a year older. Uh, you, you have about $80 million uh, committed to Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford next year. So you can't bring anybody in. You can certainly make trades, and the Celtics have a ton of first-round draft picks in the future, um, but they're, they're capped out. Um, but the future do- certainly looks bright. I mean, Tatum, like you said, uh, it looks like the, the best rookie drafted this season. Um, had a fantastic postseason. Jalen Brown uh, is could, could develop to to a, a versatile two wing player or two way player on, on the wing. Terry Rozier stepped up, like you said. So um, yeah, the, the the future is bright for them. Um, that being said, only got five guys on the court, and, and you you didn't have your two all stars playing this season. How does that get reintegrated? I do think Brad Stevens can do that. It helps that Gordon Hayward and Brad Stevens have that relationship from college. Um, so I, I think it can work and, and it'll, it'll most likely work, but there will be new challenges now that you have arrived, that the expectations are there and you're bringing in superstars where these young guys uh, had filled the hole. How do they adjust to being that, that, uh, you know, the six man being the, being uh, more of a role player. It'll be interesting. Uh, there's they're oozing talent, and I don't think it'll derail the team. They seem too steady, steady handed. Um, but it, it, it'll bring a, a new set of problems for them to to deal with next season. But yeah, the Cavs uh, certainly. I, I don't think they can stand pat this off season. Uh, Boston looks for real uh, heading into 2018-2019. Yeah, you you raised some excellent points, Bob. For for one, um, I, I agree. If they had a healthy Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward, that could have tipped this series. But but if Kyrie Irving didn't get hurt, maybe Jason Tatum doesn't have this big breakout postseason. So it could have been a blessing in in disguise when you well, look at the long term future of this of this yeah. team. Um, the other point I wanted to make was was just to piggyback off of your point. Yes, Bob, I I do think that there's going to be some potential issues. You know. Will Terry Rozier, after being such a good starting point guard, be okay watching Kyrie Irving start anymore? Could there be a clash there? I don't know. Um, for guy, you know, there's going to be some redundancies. People are going to have to take a little bit less in order to thrive. But if you've looked at what the Celtics have done with Brad Stevens, I, I am confident in his ability to get them to buy into that. I will give him the benefit of the doubt, but the one thing I will say about Brad Stevens is next year will be the first year he truly has super high expectations. Every single year, the bar has been lowered for him, and understandably so, but this will be the first time he has to coach under a Ty Lue-type pressure cooker, and coaches usually don't look as good when they're in that pressure cooker, so it will be a challenge for him, but it's obviously a challenge you look forward to because... I believe Boston, when fully healthy, has the roster to contend for a championship. Yeah, if everything works out and they're fully healthy, I think they'll be a very scary team, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the entire league. And I think you know the, the benefit of making this run without your two best players, uh, you know, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, and Jason Tatum grew up quick, and I don't think uh, they're ahead of schedule on that. Um, and your point about Kyrie Irving being out, Jason Tatum stepping up, I think the the person that benefited most, as you alluded to, is Terry Rozier. So he wouldn't have emerged this postseason had Kyrie Irving not gone down. And then, you know, Marcus Smart 
uh, missed a couple of games and Terry Rozier stepped up big for them. So um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting, but I, I, I do think that they're, they're going to have a bright future as long as they all stay healthy. Oh, by the way, we didn't mention this about Terry Rozier. O of 10 from three-point land in that game. That is a big reason why Boston lost. Yeah, Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier, uh, guys that had shredded the Cavs at home uh, in the previous games, just were were, uh, very very seldom seen uh, in Game 7. And that certainly looked like uh, the the reason for, for swinging the, the series. But I can't tell you, man. I mean, Jason Tatum, that guy, I mean, he's not going to win rookie of the year, but he's going to be one heck of a player. Yeah. Yeah. He is legit. That sequence of dunking on LeBron and hitting the three. I was, I was very nervous. I thought that was so impressive. That I was going to swing, uh, swing the game. And then Jeff green hit, knocks down a three right to answer. And, and that, that was silence the crowd. That was the biggest shot of the game, Bob. I, I, that's. I'm glad you brought that up because I was freaking out during that sequence too. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's about to take over this game and arrive. And yeah, thank goodness Green had the answer because if he misses that, then I think Boston takes the momentum. Yeah, me too. Well, Chris, let's look forward uh, at the NBA Finals. We're recording. Uh, not sure who is going to come out from this Game 7 in the Western Conference Finals between Houston and Golden State. Obviously, Chris Paul is a game-time decision with the injured hamstring. Andre Iguodala is out for the game. We know that. Um, Chris, who would you rather the Cavs play, and, and what do you think the outcome will be uh, in the Game 7? Yeah, as of this uh, recording, it's Chris Paul is a game time decision prognosis not looking great. Uh, I, look, let's just be real. If Chris Paul doesn't play, it's gonna be Golden State. I, I mean, look, you can say the Andre Iguodala injury, fine, that's significant, but they still got their four big guns. If they can't take care of a Chris Paulless Rockets, they don't deserve to be there. So if Chris Paul doesn't play, I, I, it's gonna be Golden State. I don't care about home court. Who would I rather play? I, I, on one hand, I don't want to play the Warriors, but on, on the other hand, do you really want to play the team that beat the Warriors? I mean, that's what I keep telling people. It's like, guys, you think Houston's going to be easy, but if they can beat Golden State, they're better than Cleveland. So uh, this is not going to be easy no matter what. I, I do think, though, that I would rather Houston be in the NBA Finals, other than the obvious reason that Golden State is a matchup nightmare. But I do think Kevin Love can have more success against a team like Houston than a team like Golden State. Because I do think Kevin Love can punish the Rockets inside offensively a lot easier than he can the Warriors. The Warriors with Draymond Green there, man, it's just a nightmare for Kevin Love on both sides because he just he loses some of his offensive versatility and defensively they pick him apart. At least, like with the Raptors in Houston, he would have some guys to go after in the Rockets that he could at least put his fingerprints on the game. So if I'm picking a team, it's Houston because I think, A, the Cavs match up better with them by default because it's the Warriors. Nobody matches up well with the Hamptons 5. That team's insane. And B, more importantly, Kevin Love, I think, can have an easier time establishing himself against the Rockets than, obviously, the Warriors. So so obviously, the Rockets, from a matchup perspective, yes, especially if they beat the Warriors without Chris Paul and Chris Paul doesn't play, then obviously, yes, the Rockets. But... 
I think it's going to be the Warriors, and uh, my prognosis is grim for the Cavs' chances. But uh, you know what? LeBron's overcome so much. Don't count him out. But I would have a hard time seeing Cleveland winning if they face Golden State. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's obviously I want the Rockets. Uh, I want the Cavs to play the Rockets. We saw what basically this Warriors team can do against a better Cavs team last season, and it, it was shred them in five games. Um, and, and I think that's exactly what would happen maybe on a worse scale uh, if they're going to face the Warriors. I, I don't, I'm not very hopeful uh, for their chances against Golden State. The Rockets are, are different. I, I really don't know. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Chris Kevin Love would have a more favorable matchup. It's not just the the physical, uh, you know, a- athleticism of Draymond Green, but Kevin Love just goes cold against the Warriors. Even when he gets open shots, he can't really make them. Um, so I, I would love to have uh, a fresh uh, reset in-, in the NBA Finals and have you know the chance for Kevin Love to actually shine in a- in an NBA Finals game, other than his one stop against Steph Curry. You know, he he uh, has relatively been disappointing against the Warriors in, in his two. NBA Finals matchups. So, yeah, for sure. Um, the one thing I'll say about Game Seven uh, in, in Game Six on the road, Houston had a ten-point lead at the half, and, and that was without Chris Paul. They're on, they're at home. Iguodala's still out. They they may not have Chris Paul. They have a chance. Uh, I agree with you though. Uh, they have that big four in, in Golden State. The chances are are likely that we will be uh, facing Golden State later in the week, but. Uh, I'm not counting Houston out completely and I'm certainly pulling for them because uh, I, I would love just to have uh, the, the, the idea that, that the Cavs have a, have a shot against the Rockets rather than um, being uh, pretty resounding re- resolved to uh, knowing that the Cavs don't have much of a shot against the Warriors. Yeah, I will say one thing about the Cavs is that if this defensive lineup plays the way it did against Boston, um, the Warriors will not be able to do what they did to last year's Cavs team. While last year's Cavs team maybe had more talent, they did not have more defensive talent than this Cavs team. They do have more versatile defenders who can switch more, and the Warriors might not be able to play – I mean, they're still going to do what they do. I'm not saying that. But I do think the Cavs will have an easier – an easier time relative to last year defending them with some of the guys they brought in. Again, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, not by a long shot, but but I do I will give the Cavs credit there. And I also think that that um you know Ty Lue is going to do everything he can to um pick on Steph Curry as much as possible because that's how the Cavs won in uh 2016. Um so hopefully hopefully that'll work again uh, this year. But uh I, I'm 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 resolved to seeing the Warriors in the NBA Finals. I, I do not think the Rockets will win Game Seven. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. But yeah, I mean the the key to exploiting the the Warriors and the Rockets are doing this is is just attacking Steph Curry as much as you can. So I think the Cavs will be able to do that. But um, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. Hopefully, um, we're talking about Houston uh, and not Golden State. So. Hopefully we're talking about attacking James Harden as much as we can because yes. uh, he's not exactly a defensive shutdown guy either. <laughs> yes, very, very true. Good point. All right, well, we will know who the Cavs are playing. Uh, what we do know is that the Cavs are playing in the NBA Finals, uh, something that was uh, very much in doubt just a few days ago. So uh, very happy that uh, you know we can put the 
you know, the Cleveland is being talked about positively. <laughs> the Cavs are um, for, for at least a few days until this NBA Finals opens up. So that's great. Uh, and, and we will be uh, talking about the, the games uh, next week uh, on our next podcast. But Chris, let's turn now to uh, Cleveland Indians and, and their week in review. Um, lots of games against Houston. Uh in seven games, they came out. They were three and four against Houston, sandwiched in between a two-game sweep of the Cubs. And in that two-game sweep, uh, our boy Plutko had a fantastic outing, outdueling John Lester for a 1-0 victory. Uh, that was probably the highlight for me. But Chris, um, what, what's the, what's your take on, on these previous three season, uh, three series, uh, and any key storylines we need to be following? Well, first off, to, to win five games against two of the best teams in the league is, is overall solid. I mean, I know they went one and two in Houston. They took two from Chicago in Chicago and split with Houston at home. I think the game you want to circle, obviously, is the Friday game. They lost 11-2. to two. They were up two to nothing, and Houston scored all 11 runs in like the last two innings. That is a serious problem with your bullpen because they did it again on Sunday. Fortunately, the Indians rallied in the ninth and won 10-9. to So, uh, yeah, there are some bullpen issues that have been highlighted by the Astros in particular over the weekend. So, so the Indians are kind of fortunate to come out with a 2-2 split. Uh, it could have been a 3-1 win. Had they, you know, held on on Friday, but but if you're going to give the Indians Friday, you kind of had to give the Astros Sunday. I don't think it's fair to take both of those games away. Um, but but yeah, I, I I think it's overall when you look at the surface, they played some tough teams and they came out ultimately with with uh, five wins, which pretty good. Uh, but the bullpen is a huge issue that, that you know, it, it's it's more than just a trade. They can't just fix this with a trade. Uh, these guys have got to get their heads on straight. A lot of struggles in the bullpen from guys who are normally consistent. Uh, fortunately, Bobo, the next month, 25 games, 23 against the AL Central, this is where you got to make your mark and start getting above 500 because if they struggle on this stretch, uh, things will start to get ugly. I mean, they're still leading the division, by about three games, uh, they need to put some distance on these central teams. And because, A, they're not very good, and, B, you know, this is the way they're going to get to the playoffs. I, I don't think that they will get a wild card. I, I don't think it's realistic to expect them to get a wild card given the way they've played and given how bad this division is. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Indians are, are fortunate that they play in such a, a weak division. Um, Cleveland has the worst record of any of the six division leaders uh, as of right now in, in the MLB standings. Um, and, and the bullpen, you're absolutely right, is a concern. Andrew Miller back on the disabled list. Um, they they uh, are, are blowing late game leads and, and holds. It's it's not uh, the typical Indians bullpen that we have seen uh, in the previous couple of seasons. Um, I'm still not overly concerned about any of this just because uh, – you know, Cleveland does just get ramped up month over month. Uh, I think they did have a, a solid week um, against two very high-quality opponents um, and, and that uh, finale <laughs> against the Houston Astros, uh, you know, rallying in, in the ninth inning to, to go into extras and then uh, hitting a game-tying home run in the 13th and then a walk-off in the 14th, I thought was um, a, a fantastic 
cap to um, to the week uh, to to that over Houston and, and to even that series to two. Um, so uh, yes, the, the bullpen is certainly concerning. The starting pitching is there. Uh, we we have some offense that is rounding into form. Um, I'm I'm not overly concerned. I, I think that they can build off this previous week. And Plutko uh, has has been uh, quite the the revelation of a number five starter uh, in place of Josh Tomlin. So hopefully he can keep that up uh, as he opens the series against the White Sox uh, on Memorial Day. Bob, the Indians are 26 and 25 leading their division. If they were in the West, they would be fifth place. That's insane. (laughs) They'd be seven and a half games out, Uh, but they're three and a half games up on the Tigers who are not a very good ball club. Bob, I mean, you just look at these teams in the Central. They're playing them 23 times. At the end of the day, this is where you got to fix your problems. And and I agree. Bob, I, I think the bullpen will round into form. There are too many proven names back there. Cody Allen, Andrew Miller, who's injured, and Dan Otero uh, to, to, for it not to. But but right now, it, it's 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 a huge hole on this team. They, they Regardless, they're going to have to add a reliever who can stabilize some things. But I'm also confident that these guys are going to turn it around and there will be some reliable arms down the stretch. Uh, it'll get figured out. We've still got four months to go. But but if it keeps up this way, I mean, one, one or two trades is not going to fix that problem. Yeah, d- definitely not. Uh, not just the the ALS. I mean, National League East they would be tied for fourth. National League Central they'd be in fifth as well. So, um, th- the Indians are, are very fortunate to be in the division they are in, um, and, and that's okay. I mean, like they can uh, capitalize on that, um, and this is a pivotal time for them to do so as they go into that long stretch, as you said, a- against other AL Central opponents. And let's just be real, Bob. They are better than 26 and 25. I mean, I, I don't yeah. believe they played their best baseball yet. They should be the class of this division, and I expect them to be the class of this division. Yeah, for sure. All righty, man. Well, a lot of basketball that podcast, but that's what happens when you have a team back in the NBA Finals for a fourth straight year. Thank you, LeBron. Thank you, Cleveland Cavaliers, for getting us back there. Uh, you know what? I, obviously, it's going to be a tough road, but 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 it's just exciting to potentially win another championship and to play for it. Um, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. But that is all we have for this week. Thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. If you want to catch up on all our old episodes, you can go to FenleyRoadSports.com and listen to them there. Or you can search Fenley Road Sports on iTunes, click Clee Talk, and hit subscribe. It's just that simple. There's also a very convenient icon on FenleyRoadSports.com for you to do that as well. You can also get to our social media profiles by searching Fenley Road Sports on Twitter or Instagram or clicking those icons in the upper right-hand corner of our website. Thank you for your support. We hope you come back next week and every week for more Cleveland Sports Talk here on Clee Talk. But until then, go Cavs. Hopefully we're talking about a 2-0 lead on Monday, whoever it is. Definitely. Uh, I'll see you, Chris. Go Cavs. Take it easy, Bob.